Hi everyone. Mark Zuckerberg owns Facebook and Instagram and he owns WhatsApp, which I'm using really on a daily basis, maybe on an hourly basis. Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post and then Elon Musk is now owning Twitter. And inequality has been on the rise for decades and the rich get richer and I pay more income tax than Elon Musk. There is no trickle-down economics. It seems it is a kind of trickle-up of wealth to a small group of oligarchs that own the wealth, but increasingly own the information channels that are essential in any functioning democracy. When they win, free speech loses. Monopolies are not good for free markets. And monopolies in the form of extremely unequal control of both the economy as well as the political debate undermine democracy as we have known it for a very long time. And since this is a podcast that primarily focuses on the environment, this raises for us the question, what does Elon Musk really think about climate change? How will Twitter change under Musk's 44 billion takeover plan? Will this be good or bad for the planet? He says he's a free speech, speech absolutist, but... At the same time, Twitter currently bans, for instance, advertisements by climate deniers and, of course, by former U.S. President Donald Trump, who's often called global warming a hoax. So how will Musk avoid it becoming a swamp of hate speech and fake news? So could the world's, world's richest man, worth more than $200 billion, with 85 million followers on Twitter, and especially the last aspect makes me very jealous. He's got more than 160 <laughs> times as many followers as I do. Uh, can How can he do something better for the planet with 44 billion? One of the first reactions I saw on the tweet that I just sent out was somebody said, why don't you buy a lot of rainforest to protect for those 44 billion? Elon Musk is a man of contradictions. He built the electric car firm Tesla to help save the planet. It becomes the world's most valuable car company and he becomes the world's richest man. And yet he develops rockets with the crazy idea of going to Mars. And now Elon Musk is buying Twitter. How will this play out for the environment when there are so many dark forces from the coal and oil companies seeking to slow down action. Welcome, Alistair. What is your take on all this? Uh, thanks, Alex. Good to see you. Um, it's hard to pin down Elon Musk, isn't it? Getting his views is a bit like stabbing a jellyfish. Um, you just can't, you just sort of think you're getting somewhere and you just don't quite work it out. And as you say, $44 billion would buy an awful lot of rainforest, wouldn't it? You could protect an awful lot of the Amazon or the Congo Basin with that. So Tesla shares after the announcement that he was going to be uh, buying the company, uh, fell 12% on Tuesday. Looking at the price now, they're up about 1% in a bit of a small rebound. I'm worried that Musk will have to sell some of his own stake and he won't be focused on running the company, um, Tesla and his other uh, companies, if he takes over Twitter. He'll be tweeting even more than he does at the moment. I mean, he's top of the rankings of environmental um, uh, activist on, on Twitter, isn't he? Uh, which, where Alex is very close to the top of the rankings as well. Um, but uh, he's, Musk has often t written about his commitment to fighting climate change. Um, like in a 2018 tweet, he wrote, um, quotes, Tesla exists to help reduce re risk of catastrophic climate change, which affects all species on Earth. Even if your faith in humanity is faltering, this is worth caring about. Support makes a difference. Thank you. So that's a pretty clear, you know, Tesla is one of the most wonderful companies in terms of reducing our dependence on, on fossil fuels. Um, I bought a Tesla car myself <laughs> after a few months ago, and I, I recharge it here in Oslo where the electricity comes from hydropower. So it is actually making a net difference I hope, over the long run. Still, you know, um, talking about Tesla exists to help reduce risk of climate, catastrophic climate change is kind of at odds with the image of a billionaire who strapped a $100,000 sports car to the most powerful rocket in the world and blasted it off into space. 
where it's now, I'm not quite sure where Starman is now. He's probably, I don't know where, he's halfway to Mars, I guess, is he? Or is he going to some other way? I'm not sure. And so, and he also told Rolling Stone magazine back in 2017 that, quotes again, climate change is the biggest threat that humanity faces this century, except for AI, artificial intelligence. Um, I keep telling people this, he said. I hate to be Cassandra here, but it's all fun and games until somebody loses a F bleep. I don't know if you can say these words on this podcast. <laughs> I. <laughs> this view of climate change is shared by almost everyone who's not crazy in the scientific community. So, yeah, he says, take climate change seriously. Um, you're a way out there by disagreeing with the scientific community. Yeah, it's interesting. If he would buy a call in, you would probably be legally allowed to exactly quote him, uh, which you were not allowed to do uh, just now. That is an interesting thought, by the way. Um, but yeah, I I agree. He is a man full of contradictions. So on the one hand, uh, Musk is the billionaire who's on track to save the planet. But then he talks about abandoning this planet and moving to Mars, etc. And and. So he's he's very much you know one of the one of the the, the guys that uh, that was the inspiration of uh, of the nutty guy that you see in the movie Don't Look Up that that wants to to uh, to leave with all the powerful and rich and influential people to to another planet and I always wonder what you're going to do on that other planet because Mars is utterly boring there is just nothing to do there and uh, there's there's no way to drive your tesla there although i must say that uh, the little um, <coughs> rover that is out there now the perseverance just broke the speed record i was reading about that uh, <laughs> just yesterday i was actually writing about it it might be in my newsletter of tonight so it was driving uh, i think at the speed of uh, one tenth of a mile an hour which seems to be the speed record ever uh, achieved by anybody on Mars, but yeah, back to back to Elon Musk. So, what will Twitter look like? I mean, he pays forty-four billion, which is more than uh, the national income of of many many countries in the world, um, to take Twitter private. And then he says that he wants to make Twitter the digital town square, quote unquote. We've all seen the tweet probably. And that, of course, sounds like a place where you can say pretty much what you want. And in a press release where he announced the acquisition, uh, the acquisition he wrote, and this is one that's gone all over the Internet in the past 24 hours, quote unquote, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy. And Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated, he said, adding that it would be authenticating all humans so he might relax restrictions that twitter has on hate speech and other forms of fake news and disinformation and donald trump is banned for life from twitter but would he let trump back in that might actually work to his advantage because then the chances of trump being re-elected uh, will increase and when Trump is re-elected the chances that Elon Musk will never ever pay any federal taxes anymore not that he does pay any uh, would uh, would also increase which is uh, in uh, both uh, gentlemen's uh, advantage uh, if that would happen so would he want that too so Trump has is now his own platform true social but that has been a flop so far and even uh, Musk uh, tweeted about it so uh, Musk's pin tweet from yesterday says, uh, by free speech, I simply mean that which matches the law. I'm against censorship that goes far beyond the law. Uh, but censorship, that's a quote, that's something that I'm saying, but censorship is something that is normally something that is written in the law because it's not really censorship, it's just setting boundaries. So, what does far beyond really mean? Regulators in countries outside the US, like in the European Union, are more restrictive in protecting people from what he calls free speech than in American courts. But Twitter is something that is seen and used worldwide. Well, some countries have banned it, countries that are far more against any form of free speech than we can imagine here. Free speech is not the same as harassment and bullying and discrimination so i think that is 
a key thing to understand that freedom of speech doesn't give you all the freedoms you would like just to say say what you what you want you you things like harassment and bullying and discrimination on the basis of race or gender or ethnicity or religion or any other reason you can find to discriminate against other people that is not free speech i'm all for freedom until your freedom results in limiting the freedom of other people and that is why governments and societies set rules so the european commission had yesterday to remind him of that difference um uh, and and uh, and that interpretation at least how we have that in europe and Elon Musk also tweeted uh, saying, I hope that even my worst critics remain on Twitter because that is what free speech means. That is not bad the way he wrote it there until you realize that it comes from a man who has actually blocked people who criticized him. Robert Wright, for instance, wrote about it. He wrote uh, critical things about Elon Musk and uh, he uh, he was then blocked by him so that it doesn't really sound like free speech uh, to me yeah and this emphasis on free speech um and the law you know or at least far not far i'm against censorship that goes far beyond the law it's a really difficult thing to interpret isn't it and the problem here is it also risk colliding with some of the twitter's own rules to protect the planet um, climate denialism, especially in the United States, is like an acid that corrodes global action. It's been holding it back for, for years, for decades. Um, doubts about people are sowing doubts about whether the planet is really heating up or not, even when um, even when scientists are increasingly certain and are now certain that we are to blame for it. So on Earth Day, which was last Friday, Twitter wrote about its efforts to stamp out climate denialism on the platform, saying the recent UN reports about global warming showed that, meet quotes again, meaningful climate action from all of us is critical. Then it added that uh, misleading advertisements on Twitter that contradict the scientific consensus on climate change are prohibited, it said. Then it added, in the coming months, we'll have more to share on our work to add reliable, authoritative context to the climate conversations happening on Twitter. So this is Twitter before Musk uh, managed to, to win their, their, secure their agreement for, the, for this takeover. But what's going to happen to that now? You know, they're, they're stamping out um, climate denialism advertisements and things on, on the platform. What, what will he do? And we have to remember how, just how bad this climate denialism has been throughout the years. You know, the last reports by the IPCC, the UN's panel on climate change, uh, which is approved by government, said it's unequivocal. That means beyond a shadow of doubt that we are the main cause of the warming in, on, in recent decades um, that's causing more heat waves, droughts, rising seas, extinctions of, of uh, species and so on. But, you know, the oil companies and fossil fuel lobby groups have been fighting all the way it's a bit, you know, climate scientists, when you talk to them, say it's a bit like the tobacco companies a few decades ago tried to contest that smoking causes lung cancer. You know, Republican presidents in the United States have been especially sowing doubt. You know, Donald Trump tweeted that climate change was a hoax invented by the Chinese uh, to, to harm the U.S. manufacturing industry. Uh, President George W. Bush uh, pulled out of the Kyoto Protocol um, he insisted on stressing the doubts about climate change. These are now receding, but, you know, you look at the advertisements from a, just a few years ago, you know, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, which get, got some funds from ExxonMobil, put out those, those ads that I always smiled at, but they were sinister more than a decade ago, saying about CO2, they call it pollution, we call it life. You remember that one? Uh, it's yeah. kind of it was it was weird. It's you know it's it's those sort of advertisements were like, you know, enjoy your Marlboros. Um, it's just not the way the planet's got to be run in future. And Elon Musk is going to run into problems there with his own company. With the who's going to set the guidelines in future if you're going to have uh, unrestrained free speech? It's going to be yeah. difficult.
Yeah, and the and the actor that played this cowboy in all those Marlboros commercials, he died of lung cancer. So we know where that one went. And uh, yeah, so so there there's so many strange things about the, the the person Elon Musk and where he stands and what he's doing. So he's he's strangely wary wary of of, of President Joe Biden's efforts to fight climate change, and that is odd because. What Biden wants to do is measures that include massive subsidies for cleaner technologies like his electric cars and, and, and charging points. So in, in a Wall Street Journal video interview last year, Musk said of Biden's proposed Build Back Better legislation that it might better be better if the bill doesn't pass. And that is weird. He, he then said the federal budget deficit is insane. And yeah, I mean, he didn't say that, but let me add to this. It is insane, this budget deficit, because people like Elon Musk don't pay any federal tax. <laughs> in 2018, he paid zero. And what he paid in 2016 and 2017 is less than I pay as federal tax to my government. And it, it that's for the richest man in the world. Of course, then you have a, a budget deficit. And that is... Uh, that is not something that the Democrats created. If you look at the U.S. budget deficits and you, you just look at a graph and then you plot into there when you have Democratic and when you have Republican presidents, you see all the time that the deficit goes down when there's a, a Democrat president and it goes up when there's a Republican, especially under Bill Clinton. It went dramatically down. Um, uh, so it's it's uh, this this whole uh, climate legislation has now been stalled in Congress, and so yeah, sitting on the top floor of this new Tesla uh, Giga Texas factory, Musk said in that interview, the role of government should be of a referee and not of a player in the field, and the government should try to get out of the way and not impede progress, which sounds remarkably like uh, the famous lines of Ronald Reagan, the moment that everything started to turn around in the U.S. in a completely different direction than uh, any either Republican or Democratic uh, president had led the country before when, when, when Reagan said that government was the cause of the problem and not the solution of the problem. And if you then look at the role of government, I mean, it, it, is, it is really, really surprising because... His companies, Elon Musk companies, have benefited massively from government incentives paid by taxpayers like you and me, but then the American version of you and me, to make electric cars more affordable all around the world. So way back in 2015, the Los Angeles Times estimated that Elon Musk had received nearly $5 billion in government support for his companies, which is not bad for a guy that never pays tax. So around the world, from, from China to Europe, Tesla gets all kinds of support from governments, and governments you should read as basically, you know, you and me, because it's our money, in the form of subsidies to make electric vehicles more attractive. So it's, it's yeah, the, the guy puzzles me in, in, in where he stands. If, if I would be in his position, I, my position would probably be different, but probably I wouldn't have that much money as he did. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a bad comparison. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I watched that Wall Street Journal video interview from from last year, as you're saying there, and it's it's kind of it's jaw dropping the way he he says that you know it might be better if the bill doesn't pass when he's one of the people who's 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 as you say he sort of carved out huge amounts of benefits from this, um, like where I live in Norway, you know, the, the, pretty much. Um, Two thirds of new cars sold here are, are electric, and Tesla is by far the most sold car in the country. That's because um, successful lobbying by electric car makers, including Tesla, have have, in, have 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 led to things like you get you get twenty you don't pay value added tax, so you, sales tax you you don't pay twenty five percent tax that you pay on a petrol powered car. I can drive the car that I have in in the bus lane and things. I can park more or less for free so there are huge these are non-monetary things whether or not you pay your taxes or not these are huge incentives that are that are coming through to consumers for and elon musk has of course done amazing things for for us by inventing these cars but as we're saying you know 44 billion dollars is a lot of money um you know um it's kind of 
it's always easy to throw stones at somebody for for spending their money in a way we disagree with but of course he can do what he wants with it i suppose but up to up to certain limits we're just puzzled by the way i'm just puzzled by how he can reconcile his his contradictory beliefs beliefs on this but around you know you see around the media a lot of people wondering how he could spend it better as as you mentioned at the beginning alex and somebody suggested where he could buy up the rainforest and do more good by doing that. Um, if he really believes, as he said in one of those quotes, that climate change is the world's top challenge alongside uh, AI, you know, there was, a, 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 let's think, you know, one of the suggestions at the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow last, last November, there was a lot of talk about how the world fell short of this goal but set more than a decade ago that the rich countries should provide $100 billion a year to developing nations in climate finance to help them cut emissions uh, and to adapt to climate change. Um, by one estimate by the OECD, um, the world fell $20 billion short. So $44 billion would plug that gap for a couple of, for a couple of years, wouldn't it? Um, the Asian Development Bank, another report I saw showed that um, $20 billion uh, in concessional equity, which is just like seed financing, I guess, um, could unlock the end of coal-fired power plants in 10 Asian nations from Pakistan to Indonesia. That's, that's a huge win, would be a huge win for the planet. So, of course, you know, none of this is, is to say that Elon Musk isn't acting, developing Tesla into one of the world's most valuable com companies is one of the biggest contributions to greening the planet by anyone ever i'd say but we're yeah. still stuck with these contradictions aren't we yeah he's he's well he, yeah it's full of contradictions and he, he's doing some things to to promote new technology but that is just you know a lot of money for you and me but absolutely peanuts for for a multi-billionaire like like he is and so he, he's donated 100 million in prize money for removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, which is called the X Prize. Um, that's the same X uh, that he uses in uh, in those rockets that he's sending up, uh, probably causing way more pollution than the solutions <laughs> that he's funding. But the UN report about climate change uh, by the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel uh, on Climate Change, said this month that such technologies would be unavoidable to reach the goals of the Paris Agreement. So carbon dioxide removal ranges from anywhere from planting trees or actually saving a rainforest to developing machines that, that suck carbon uh, from, from thin air. And uh, many people are, are wary about the promise of these technologies. They're often used as, as a front to say, you know, we can solve this problem later don't don't worry too much there's no hurry because we're just going to develop these kind of machines and uh, on earth day uh, the x prize and uh, the musk foundation awarded uh, 1 million each uh, to uh, 44 uh, to 15 uh, projects to encourage the development of their technologies for removing carbon um, and they include ways to to prize milestone winners so they include ways to remove uh, carbon dioxide from the air or to help develop algae uh, that soak up carbon and uh, helping to uh, increase uh, the uptake of carbon by the oceans. But at the end of the day, what I just said, I mean, giving one million for a project like that, if you possess a wealth of more than 200 billion, that is just like, like absolute peanuts uh, also compared to uh, to the size of the problem that that we are talking about you don't solve climate change with one million you you need hundreds of billions you actually need trillions which he doesn't have yet uh, and probably not after buying Twitter um, but uh yeah so that those are the numbers we're really talking about yeah, I mean, $100 million for this X prize is a, an eye-catching amount. But as you say, in a, as a percentage it's of his wealth, it's, it is just, it's just a drop in the ocean, isn't it? That's the trouble. And we're going to have to use these carbon dioxide removal technologies. Somehow they're going to have to be built up to scale because at the moment a lot of these technologies um, are very speculative. They don't work or they cost hundreds of dollars 
um, hundreds of dollars a ton. I remember when the, the X Prize was announced, um, this hundred million dollars for um, removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Quite a few people just sent in a picture of a tree to him and said, this is my idea. <laughs> can I just, get a million? <laughs> can, 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 can be a million and I'll, or a hundred million. I'll claim the prize now because this is the most effective thing we can do. <laughs> so they didn't get it. They didn't get it. But uh, some of these technologies are kind of interesting in a sort of niche sort of way. They're still, you know, that they cost, well, hundreds of dollars a ton of carbon dioxide, which is way, way, way above what any market price for carbon dioxide is at the moment. Uh, so one of the ones I kind of like, which I've written about in my work for Thomson Reuters, uh, is Carbfix. It's a company in Iceland that it um, it 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 partners with a Swiss company, Climeworks, which has big, great fans that suck carbon dioxide out of thin air um, with special membranes, which is really difficult because carbon dioxide is only 400 parts a million, right? So it's really hard to do it. And then Carbfix uh, pumps this carbon dioxide down into the, into the ground, mixes it with water, and it, it turns to rock. Don't ask me about the chemical processes involved because I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand it. But it, it, it goes turn, turns into calcium carbonate or something, um, basically deep underground. Um, so you know they're turning carbon dioxide air into stone effectively. You know, so you can play around with headlines um, on stories about you know if you're scared by climate change, this solution is petrifying. Because it's yeah. it's really you know, turning it to stone, so yeah. you know this company says they've injected about eighty thousand tons of carbon dioxide deep underground in Iceland, where again these plants are run by geo geothermal en energy, so they're actually um they're actually you know it's not adding to the burden of fossil fuel burning. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I love the creativity in, in these kind of solutions. But this one in Iceland is, and there's not a form of criticism, but just as, as a kind of reality check, I think it, with all its annual production in a year, the amount of carbon it catches is equal to something like taking a few hundred cars off the road in America, uh, something yeah. like that. Or That's I right, think it yeah. was equal to two seconds a year of, of CO2 uh, uh, production. Yeah. Um, so that it... It shows the scaling of the problem. Exactly, exactly. So I, I worked out 80,000 tons of carbon dioxide since 2014 works out as the annual emissions of about 5,000 people in America. Yeah. So it's you know, a huge industrial enterprise to, to, to build yeah. something. It's just, you know, unless there's some massive breakthrough in the technology, yeah. it's, it's, it's not going to work. And if there is a massive breakthrough, then you call, it creates all sorts of other problems as well. The, especially the energy demand that you're going to have to have to run these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see in some reports, they even talk about how if you suck carbon dioxide out of the air, it might harm crop growth nearby because carbon dioxide is like yeah. a, a natural fertilizer. If you suddenly have carbon the air that has no carbon dioxide in it, crops downwind of these big plants would be, might not grow so well. It's, yeah. it's weird, you know. So many things to take into account. Yeah, that's that's an amazing aspect. Yeah, what what we do in the harbor of Rotterdam, for instance, which is heavily in all kinds of fossil fuel uh, fossil fuels that we transport to Germany mainly, um, is that the excess of CO two that they have, they pump just north because there's a huge agricultural area where we have those glass houses, so they pump the CO two in the glass houses because it's good for the plants. And um, but I also remember I was once near Tucson, Arizona, in this famous project of the 1980s, which was called Biosphere Two. Do you remember that? This oh, massive yes, right. glass house, yes, where they locked some people in. I think five people for a period of two years, and they called them astronauts. And the idea was that they were kind of um, uh, pretending to live on a planet like Mars. So they they had they had a completely sealed environment including for their water, their oxygen, their CO2, uh, their food uh, production, everything, they had different landscapes. It's a fascinating tourist attraction. If you're ever in Arizona, you really have to see it because you can visit it 
And at one moment you walk in a small piece of desert and then you walk into a small piece of rainforest. But one of the, uh, it was highly criticized because it, it first of all, it, it didn't work. So they, they literally had to open a window, otherwise right. these guys would yeah. die. Guys and girls, actually. One marriage um, uh, is the result of uh, of locking five people up together for two years. And um, and I actually met one of those five um, astronauts. But they literally had to open the window. But although it was heavily criticized, one of the things they learned is that what went wrong is was that the CO2 levels went up way too high. So we're now normal CO2 levels in 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 pre-industrial history or something like between two and 300 uh, parts per million. And uh, now they have raised to uh, above 400. We're now something like 415 or something, a rough guess. But they noticed that when it went up to 600, which is unfortunately quite realistic uh, in, uh, in this century, that all kinds of plants were dying. So in in the in the first instance, which raising CO two basically gave them more building material to build more leaves and 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 and, and whatever a plant or a tree needs to grow. Uh, but there is a kind of maximum, and then they get poisoned by too much CO two. Uh, so that is um, that's kind of scary thought that I wasn't aware of. <laughs> and, uh, that is that's something they found out there. So they are quite proud of it because they always get criticized for this crazy project. But then say, well, actually, we found something that uh, someday will be very important knowledge for uh, for the world. Well, it should already be important knowledge because we should act on it now and not when we when we hit six hundred, which will be a quite uncomfortable uh, moment. But back right. to forty four billion. I mean, suppose uh, you would be Elon Musk, or let's say uh, we do it differently. Elon Musk calls you up tomorrow he said alistair i listened to this podcast of uh, of yours that you did with alex and i thought about it I'm, I'm not buying twitter but i give you the 44 billion and uh, your task in the rest of your life is to do something useful with those 44 billion what what would you do with it <laughs> that's a really difficult question isn't it um you'd have to try and put the money where it would help most, obviously, and therefore you'd have to put it in a developing economy somewhere, uh, spread it around developing countries um, to promote, I don't know, I'd, let's say um, uh, I'd give solar panels, distribute solar panels as widely as they could across uh, Africa and the developing countries. How about that? That would probably yeah, that's a good one. a certain yeah. way to go. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, I might buy for you. How, can I keep some for myself? <laughs> oh, yeah. What would you buy? <laughs> you can keep one billion for yourself. Let's be modest. What would you do with the one billion? <laughs> I'd have to buy some solar panels here too, wouldn't I? But uh, what would I buy? Goodness, I have no idea. Um, uh <laughs> It's unthinkable, isn't it? I, I think I'd, uh, I'd have a very, very big party, let's say that, invite yeah. anybody who could come. Yeah. Yeah. Thing, well, you can invite all of Norway and you still have a lot of money left. Yeah. So it could be like a permanent, you could make a permanent party country out of, out of Norway. It's incredible. It's, it's like a thousand times one million dollars. That yeah. is, I mean, one million, I can kind of imagine what I would do with one million, buy a nice yeah. house or something. And and maybe with 10 million, I can still imagine it. So buy five beautiful houses and five beautiful yachts. Yeah. But by then, you're so busy traveling f- from your one yacht to the next house that, um, that, that I would be, I mean, my creativity and spending all that money would more or less stop there right and uh, maybe buy some expensive paintings but then and it's like what do you do when you have so much money i mean it must be a horrible life actually to have so much yeah. money. i'm glad i'm we not discovered that we discovered it a bit with the russian yachts don't we around the world yeah. that are just sort of sitting in dry dock these things yeah. that cost hundreds of billions of um hundreds of millions of dollars so just sort of sitting around doing nothing and they've got a whole load of staff on board Keeping yeah. it polished and keeping the keeping the salt at, at bay and things, but uh, nobody's ever going there. Yeah. How about you? What would you? Have, what, would, yeah. what would you do with forty-four billion? I think. Well, yeah. So I would. So I just concluded that was ten million. I'm quite modest, and I'd be perfectly <laughs> happy with ten million. So then I still got forty-four billion left, right? Yes, pretty um, much. Yeah. Uh, and I. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. So it it uh, use it where where it matters most. And actually, what you just mentioned in in um, uh, that for twenty billion that you can uh, get rid of all coal capacity in ten Asian countries, if I quote you correctly, there. Something um, like that, yeah. And I think. Because coal is the most polluting thing that we have. You have to, instead of deal with the consequences, I think going to the heart of the matter, where it, where it really comes from, really go to the source of the problem. Uh, I think reducing the amount of coal being burned is is a really good one. Um, of course, there's all kinds of other ways you can where you can focus on. You could also say, well, no, I'm going to deal with the impacts and. It's especially as we know, the poorest people in the poorest countries are the ones that are are hit worst and are also the most innocent ones because they never ever contributed in any relevant way to the problem that we're talking about. So that you, um, so I I would I would probably go for yeah adaptation and health um, um, uh, healthcare and 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 uh, and just just making. Making it possible for people to live. So all kinds, of, let's say, development aid connected to to the impact of climate change. I would focus on that as well. But I think the 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 mitigation part shouldn't be. If we don't mitigate, we we never get it solved. So I will probably lean heavier to mitigation, however hard that decision is, because so many people are are suffering. Uh, I, w- I will probably lean a bit more towards mitigation because it's, the suffering is only get worse if we if we don't mitigate and. Then I would um, use money for R and D, just just do do research and development of of new techniques. Maybe not so much this this uh, CCS kind of techniques, although I do believe that you also have to focus on that a bit. But all kinds of other things that you can you can work on. For instance, on if we get a new climate, how can you still produce enough food those kind of questions because we are going to get a food problem actually we are in the midst of a rapidly increasing food problem all over the world which is all, everything to do with uh, with the ukraine or ukraine uh, crisis of course um but there's uh yeah so we'll probably that's that's my development aid uh, background from 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 having been a diplomat yeah. for a long time I, I will probably end up with a kind of mix of a number of things and my challenge would be not to spread out uh, too thinly uh, and too wide but focus on some so so for instance bill gates he really thought for a long time where he would put his money and then it was very much focused purely on on health care for the poorest countries so fighting malaria etc and he said well with i cannot solve all the problems in the world but this is one where i believe with all my billions that uh, that he uh, together with melinda um, uh, can really make a difference, and I, I thought it was a wise decision to kind of focus on something. He still puts some money in other things yeah. because he's got so much, but but a key focus on one issue. And for me, that would be environmentally related. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wonder for the people listening, um, yeah. if uh, uh, suppose Elon Musk would give you a call tomorrow and say, "Well, you know, I thought about it. I'm <laughs> going to give you the forty-four billion." Um, except for all your yachts in Monaco that you want to buy, then you you still got a lot of money. What would you do? I see Evelyn has an idea coming from a country like Switzerland. Evelyn must know must know a thing about billions. It won't go very far. Please join. I was not talking about your personal billions, but representing a country that's got quite a few billions on the bank account, maybe of Elon Musk himself. So, what are your ideas? Right, I don't I don't know about that, and I definitely don't have billions. Um, and if he called me tomorrow, I wouldn't answer. I never answer my phone. So there you, go. <laughs> you, you would miss a lot of money then. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, now, I put it in the chat room what I would do. But for me, it's always it, education. That's a good one. Because yeah. that's, what I, that's what I do. That's, what, that, that's my job, essentially. But, you know, fact-based education, because there's so much stuff out there that's just like factually wrong that yeah. that people are taught especially i don't want to mention a country but you know anyway um well, and, we spoke um, a lot about the u.s today so just as, <laughs> as a bit of inspiration yeah. yeah you know i might be um oh, i don't know i don't know how to word this but i went to like the high school i went to um einstein went to the same one so it oh, was wow. all 
it was really yeah. science and all that. Must be well, it was one. just, yeah, well, it was, the, the, the reason I went there was a matter of geography, not of accomplishment, just to make that clear. And, um, but anyway, so it was all like fact-based and science was, was like a big deal and stuff. And then just seeing how people are taught all over the world, but also in the, in the U.S. because I have a lot of friends there. It's like, it just drives me nuts. It's like, can we just focus on facts in education and on, on science? Well, other stuff too, but just not um, giving people wrong information. And I would invest in that. And then just girls' education as well. Yeah. Um, because that's, that's also a big, a big topic for me. And then of course, everything that, that you guys mentioned as well, that could be done. But I think for me, it all starts with education, just making sure people understand basic science, because that's, I think that's how you tackle the, all the climate de deniers. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And, uh, Especially educating girls, that is one that consistently comes out of uh, all kinds of studies on development. One of the best investments that you can make is educating girls. And that is, uh, of course, uh, first of all, from a moral point of view, there's, there's, we could talk for a long time about why that is so important, but it's, it's obvious. But it's also that um, if you look in the, uh, especially in the less developed world, but also in the de developed world, but especially in the, in the less developed world, if a girl stops education at 12, on average, she gets a little bit more than five children and uh, they basically all have a life in poverty. If you educate a girl just six year years longer until the age of 18, on average, she gets two children, and those two children have a far better future. Um, other studies say that if a, um, a, a giving birth to a child is one of the worst things you can do for climate, because that is a human that will stay on this planet for, let's say, the next, depending on where you are, anywhere between 60 and 90 years. Um, and uh, each person on the planet has a, a a carbon footprint although they they differ massively uh, a child being born in a poor country uh, hasn't much of a carbon footprint whereas if you're born uh, let's say somewhere in a country like united states or maybe in the united arab emirates or qatar um, they have uh, massive footprints so if you look for instance in the results of the drawdown uh, study where some of the best climate scientists in the world work together on looking at what we can achieve with present uh, knowledge and present technology uh, in their uh, top 10 or top 20 of uh, the best things that you can do uh, educating girls is high on that list as one of the best climate change measures that you can take apart from all the other advantages and and back to your your general point about education yes let's do as you wrote in your comment fact-based education because if you see the absolute nonsense that sometimes is in a in in a country like america which is still the richest and power most powerful country in the world you see that sometimes by law teachers are required to teach absolute nonsense uh, as if let's say uh, there are two equally valid uh, theories about evolution one is the theory of uh, darwin of um, uh, survival of the fittest uh, whereas the other one is the bible and that they, that they have to be presented as equally valid uh, that is of course absolute nonsense independent on whatever religion you have or what you believe in um, the 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 science is not a belief science is just peer-reviewed, fact-based, and it is uh, it is not something like a belief uh, that you take out of some old book. And uh, requiring teachers to, uh, to, to teach young people not to be scientific is an absolute nightmare because these are the people that are in, in, in just a generation from now uh, are, are 
you know, our political leaders, they are our business leaders, they are our new scientists that need to develop our new medicines, etc. Um, if you keep those people stupid, it is it is in nobody's interest to do so. Um, so it's it's uh, remarkable, especially talking about the U.S., how education is always, uh, especially a, a hot issue for the Democrats to make it better, and it's a hot issue for the Republicans. Uh, to make it, um, let's say, based on the Bible. So, yeah, I think that uh, those are some some really good comments. I wonder if if uh, anybody of the of the other listeners has uh, any ideas uh, about what to do with the forty four billion. Um, if this would be a lottery and you would get a chance to get the forty four billion, I'm sure that all <laughs> of you would raise your hand. Uh, although I wonder if you would be blessed with forty four billion. And I also wonder if some of you have ideas. Um, about what it means uh, for climate change and for the planet now that Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, because that was the main theme of today. And I, I still believe that that is an important one to consider. So, uh, but maybe you have ideas about that, Evelyn. Um, I was just going to add something. Can you hear me? Sorry. Yes, I can hear yes. you. Okay. I didn't see the blue um, circle. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure yet what what's what's going to happen. I'm just I'm I'm just going to wait and see what he does. I can't It's kind of I'm still having trouble grasping the whole concept of spending that much money just to buy Twitter and and there must be some sort of agenda, right? And I haven't quite figured that out yet. As you guys said, I mean, there's like, there's Tesla and all the electric cars and all that. And then he's like, he goes on about free speech, but then not, um, uh, not censorship beyond the law and with, no, no, the other way around. Sorry. But anyway, and, and all, and all that. And it's all so confusing to me. So I don't, I don't really have have an idea about that i don't know i guess it's yeah. a wait and see but i did have another idea of what i would do with the money okay. you mentioned um in a, in another podcast you said something about a nobel prize yeah for like climate change or climate action i would definitely introduce that as well yeah that would be sorry amazing. i just wanted yeah, to yeah. throw that out there but yeah. um on on the question of the podcast i really don't i i don't know yeah, it's really difficult, isn't it? I mean, as you say, Evelyn, Elon Musk is such a puzzle to us all. I mean, we he's such a visible personality. He talks all the time, but he talks in contradictions, doesn't he? It's just yeah, it's, it's just impossible to pin him down. Um, and what this means for Twitter, it's going to be really difficult for him because he's going to run into all these questions of uh, regulation and to, to what extent you know Twitter's had uh, gone through some awful decisions hasn't it when banning donald trump which i think was way overdue um took them a long time to get around to that and and you know is is he going to do that is he going to ban people is he going to let people back in you're going to get a yellow card you're going to be sent off you're going to go to the sin bin for a while and come back or you, what, what how, how on earth how do you how do you police this place a, a market you know, a free a, a town hall where you can say anything. It's going to be mm -hmm. really tough for him. I'm also wondering if there need to be like special rules for for different regions, or whether the EU will will um, say, okay, you can't do that if it's you know if someone's based in the EU. There's there might be different rules. I don't know if that's even possible. Or in, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not, I yeah. don't know what I want to say. Yeah, well, the the EU has already warned him, the European Commission, uh, saying that well, there there are uh, rules and regulations in the EU, and if if Twitter is mm. really breaking that, let's say if you put it in extreme, if you if you would uh, abandon all rules on Twitter and you would allow it as a platform for uh, harassment and or a platform of um, of of views that are um, uh, by all kinds of 
of rules against the law. I mean, let's say it would suddenly be used by plotters of terrorist acts uh, to uh, to commit terrorist crimes. I mean, that's that's just take an extreme example. Um, it's obvious that uh, that you wouldn't allow for that, or let's say it would be a gathering of uh, pedophiles or something. So something that is obviously against the law. Um, so mm. I'm starting on the extreme because, of course, Elon Musk uh, uh, doesn't want that. Uh, he it's not in his interest. It's it's uh, I hope against all his his moral positions as well. So starting on the extreme. If you then move more to the to the things that are let's say more debatable, so so for instance, the thing: uh, Are you allowed to uh, to do blatant denial of uh, scientific facts? So you're not calling up to do a terrorist act, but you are uh, denying scientific facts in a way that it might harm people. Let's say you are. Uh, promoting that you should uh, drink some kind of uh, uh, some kind of uh, poison because that will cure you from uh, from uh, from from COVID or something. Um, those things can be really dangerous. I mean, there was take this example. I remember President Trump mentioning something that like that, and somebody died. Uh, just because the president said so. So you have an enormous power. So so that is a bit less obvious, but still uh, one uh, which isn't uh, too complicated. And then when you move more, let's say, to the center, you come in a kind of gray area where you can debate for a long time. Is this is this free speech or are we just on the other side of free speech? And are we coming in a position where you talk about uh, about harassment, etc.? Um, um, it, it, we see that in all countries where you have um, uh, populist uh, political leaders. So, for instance, in my country, at a certain moment, our right-wing populist asked his uh, supporters in a big room, and there were cameras, and he said, do we need more or less Moroccans in our country? And then the audience started to call, we need them less, we need them less, etc. And that... He people then went to court, court and said, just by asking this question, you are uh, you are promoting hatred. And that was that was heavily debated because he had put it in a question. So you come in this territory where at certain moment you need a judge. Now, I think that be, because of all the rules that are set in countries where he needs Twitter to earn an income, let's say like the European Union, where we are more strict uh, than uh, than in the United States, um, I think you, uh, he will find soon that there isn't too much room uh, to move from the situation they are already in. He can maybe let Donald Trump back in, which I think is clearly in his interest, and he will likely do so. Um, but I, I think on all kinds of other things, he just, he just can't move too much. What do you think, uh, Alastair? I think you're right. I think he's going to be hemmed in by this legislation. As you say, the European Commission has warned him already that much stronger um, laws about libel in, in, in Europe and things than there are in the United States, where you, you, know, you have to be held to a very high standard in the United States. You've actually sort of had to have, to have sort of malice, deliberate. You have to have deliberately done, made a mistake, whereas in in Europe, in Britain, especially, the libel laws are very, very strict. About you can, you know, you just mentioning somebody. You, I can remember when I was in st first studied journalism. There's, there was a story about somebody who'd been, you know, on holiday. A teacher in had been accused of doing some crime in Italy. They hadn't named this person. They'd said, you know, it was on a driving holiday and was from a certain town, and. There was another teacher from that town who'd been in Italy at the same time who said, you've libeled me because I was there as well. It's not me, but you've libeled me. And he won. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think maybe the, the laws have been, wow. you know, it's been made more restrictive since then. To, but, but still, you know, libel laws vary an awful lot around the world, don't they? And um, the United States, I think, where Elon Musk is judging this from is a very, very um, different place from many other places in Europe where uh, libel laws are much, much stricter. I mean, as he, Elon Musk won a case in, in a UK court where he called a, a, a British diver who was involved in rescuing 
uh, those children from the cave in where was it in Indonesia? No, in, in Thailand. In Thailand, sorry, in Thailand. Yeah, that where this diver had helped rescue people from the the cave. His children. He called him a pedo guy because he had um, uh, he cast doubt on Elon Musk's plan to rescue them with a sort of little mini submarine. Um, and you know, Elon Musk won that in in court in the UK. But he that's because he had some very <laughs> fancy lawyers. But you know, he he he's he risks. He, I mean, he's been in libel suits himself, hasn't he? So it's um. Um, you know, it's uh, these are difficult, difficult waters he's getting into. It's um, I don't think he's going to enjoy himself that that much if he if he wants to be a, a you know absolute uh, free speech advocate here. Yeah, um, he's going to run into a lot of walls. So, so why did he buy Twitter? What do you think? I mean, it's it's even even for him, forty four billion must be quite a bit of money. It's about a quarter yeah. of what he owns, I think. I don't understand it. He's got 85 million followers there already. Why? Why would? Perhaps you were hinting at it earlier that um, you know if if you buy this place as a place of free speech and you help Donald Trump get elected, then he probably won't be paying any taxes in future either, and he'll be paying less taxes than you or I. So um, perhaps that that is it's as simple as that. I wonder. Would you have political ambitions, President Musk? I don't, I don't know. I never heard of it, but I'm just thinking of it while I'm. You, you have uh, to be a natural-born American, don't you? To oh yeah, be, true. And he's yeah. not. I guess yeah. he's not, is he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then <laughs> he, he could maximum be governor, like like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> yeah, in uh, something like that yeah. <laughs> in California. Yeah, that's true. You have to be born in America. Yeah. yeah. So uh, okay, so that's that's not it. Yeah, I was just just thinking what uh, what 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 might be it because why. As an investor, I don't think Twitter earns much money. I mean, there are some advertisements nowadays, but I, I, I don't know. Is, is that a, a money-making machine? I can't can't think of it. It's, uh, I I know that for years they had difficulties in, yeah, in yeah. earning money. Yeah, been watching Tesla's share price as we've been having this podcast. It's it was up about one and a half percent at one point. Now it's up by like, not point three percent. Uh, that's so, because in the beginning of the podcast, you were saying all these nice things about Tesla, and then later we then, drifted off in a different direction. Immediately, so now it's totally <laughs> undermined. It. We're punching above <laughs> our weight, Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Okay, well, I think uh, we've been uh, we've been on on for an hour already. So uh, we we had so many other things to. Uh, okay, well, one last thing, just to get a, get rid of the Elon Musk thing. Otherwise, that stays yeah. in mind. So, so I just want to ask you the same question I asked you last last time at the end of the show. What was your favorite nature moment this week? Because we are supposed to spend at least two hours a week in nature. We, we, we nature. discussed that earlier. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm just checking whether you whether you live up to our commitments. There have been quite a few because it's actually the snow has melted around here in in Oslo, and I was in um, Finland also for a couple of days this week. Uh, but I think the best thing I did this week was I went for a little walk in the forest, and I saw this um, butterfly that I hadn't haven't seen this type of butterfly for two or three years. Um, in America, it's called the morning cloak, and that's it's a bit sinister because that's M O U R N I N G, as morning. in you know yeah. somebody's died, so I'm wearing this dark robe. But it's a beautiful butterfly. This one it has um, in, in the UK they're called Camberwell beauties, but there they're very rare. And they have them. You have them here in the forest. So some of them manage to survive over the winter, um, but they are they kind of quite a large butterfly with a dark red or black with this fringe of white a line of white around the edge of their wings so that looks like a dark cloak for some reason with a, a bit of white around the edges and they've got blue and, and yellow dots on beautiful oh i'm losing you i don't hear you anymore can you hear me can anybody hear Alistair? Is it just me losing him? Could be. Um, no, I don't hear you anymore. Can somebody write in the comments whether you can you can hear Alistair? No, something happened. So, can you hear me? Okay, can somebody write if you can hear me? 
Uh, oh, Evelyn can still hear him. Okay, that must be on my side. I have no idea. People start clapping. I, I lost you somehow. So then I leave it to you. I'm not sure if you can hear me. So maybe Alistair, you can, if you can hear me, can you close down the show? Because I'm not sure if you can no, hear what? I can oh, hear no, you. I, can I, hear can you. Hear, I think I'm back. I think I'm back. There we go. I don't know what happened there. I it's a mystery. Okay, um, you're back. So anyway, yeah, but so what was your, you're closing down the show, but maybe we should, you should tell us about your favorite moment there. Well, actually, while while you were talking about this butterfly or just moments after, basically while I, while I lost you, I saw on the window, I'm sitting here next to the window, I saw my very first, what do you call that? A coccinelle, uh, a, um, a, a ladybird. A ladybird. Ladybug. I saw the very yeah. first ladybird of the year just while you were talking <laughs> nice. about, um, about, uh, about butterflies and, uh, and yeah, I, I made a, a beautiful walk along the Rideau River, um, which is uh, I didn't want to go out of town to to the to the forest and the, and the park here because it was really really dark clouds. I wasn't sure whether it was going to rain or not, so I want to stay a little bit more in the in the built environment. So a good compromise is then to walk along the the Rideau River. So this is I recently wrote about it for those that uh, read my newsletter. So here you have. Ottawa is built on the Ottawa River, and there are two big rivers flowing into the Ottawa River at this spot. So this makes that already for like 5,000 years, people came uh, at this particular spot where there's now Ottawa and the, and the capital of Canada uh, to do trade and, and to meet each other. They know that's from archaeological um, artifacts. Um and one of those two rivers that's flowing in is the Rideau River. And the Rideau River is historically very important because it is, it's too rough to, to sail on. I recently showed on my social media so the, the hawkback, so, so some, some fantastic falls that are nearby. But you couldn't sail that way. And there was a co uh, competition between the British and the quite new and young uh, United States of America. Um, and in in the in the first decades after after the independence of the U.S. and um, then what the British want to do to to occupy here more land and to to have it in use to say that they are really here, they made a canal between the Saint Lawrence River and the Ottawa River, and that was a canal that is a connection between all kinds of existing waterways, and some of them are are canals. Um, about uh, 10 kilometers uh, east of Ottawa, the Rideau River was uh, was not possible to sail on anymore. So in parallel to it, they made a canal with all kinds of locks. And the last of those beautiful locks uh, built by Mr. McKay uh, can be seen in, I think, my very last or one of my last newsletters uh, where you see a, a sketch of um, uh, the Chateau Laurier, this famous hotel, and on, on uh, and and I've taken it from from those locks. So uh, here you have the canal, and parallel to it, uh, about two kilometers away from it, in parallel flows the Rideau River. So I walked along the Rideau River yesterday. I saw the first Forsythia blooming, those those beautiful uh, yellow plants, which wasn't blooming the day before. It was really the first first day I saw it and I also noticed that finally finally the trees are some trees are getting a little bit of a shade of green of the first leaves that are coming out you really have to look carefully but you see that their color is changing and uh, that is fascinating because it proves that finally spring is coming here as well this morning we had heavy snow um, but uh, finally spring weather is is uh, starting to win from the long and horrible winter weather that we have here and i saw a red-winged blackbird so that was all my nature experience of of just uh, yesterday in a way too long uh, summary um and now we really went past the hour um so uh, we started Very with nice. elon musk uh, and uh, we ended up with nature uh, which is our favorite <laughs> subject i think <laughs> yeah. um any last thoughts before we're we're closing down i think that tied it up it's nice to end up with a bit of uh uplifting stories about nature rather than um, the, you know, the fate of the planet in the hands of um, <laughs> too many billionaires. <laughs> There's too many billionaires. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> okay, this was fun. Thanks, as always, for, for listening. Thanks for joining at such a late moment uh, a day earlier than normal, because in my previous announcement, I was completely forgotten that we decided to uh, do it on a Wednesday. But still, you all showed up, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, to uh, to see you all here. And I, I really appreciate uh, that you guys are always out there, and it's uh, it's it's fun to have you as an audience. And later this week, I'll probably be back a few times, but I'm not sure when or about what subjects. Maybe I'll do some shorter sessions. Uh, I'm not sure yet. And uh, and one thing is, this summer I will be uh, traveling for about four months, so expect a lot more uh, travel um, travel podcasts, which I've never done in my life, so I have to work out what a travel podcast actually is. But uh, expect travel podcasts. Uh, from uh, late May all the way to late September. So uh, that's uh, that's one announcement for now. Uh, thanks so much, Alistair, and hope to see you all back uh, soon. One sec before I let you go. I'm going to my agenda because I don't think we're on the normal Monday. Um, let me see. That is next week. Um, yeah, next week we move it. We're not on Monday, the 2nd of May with Vanessa because that's bank holiday, a bank holiday in the UK. Uh, but we are on Wednesday, exactly one week from now, but then starting at 11 o'clock Eastern time. So four hours earlier than uh, we started today. And uh, then there is uh, on the Fifth, uh, I do have to double check if we really are there on the Thursday. I'll come back to that one too uh, for you as well, Alistair. I'll just let you know. And I'll let you go now. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Great. Thanks, everyone. Bye.